I'd like to welcome everyone out to the Domesticated Savages podcast. With me, as always, I have Jake. What's up, Jake? What's up, brother? I have Fitz. A.K.A. Thumbelina, apparently. Or did you change your name to Something Wong? <laughs> I don't know. That's I'm, Captain? I'm confused. Okay. Captain Something Wong. Capitan. And I'm Jeremy. This episode, we're going to change things up a little bit. We kind of uh, found a few stories we'd like to talk about. And you, amazing listeners, have submitted a few questions. And so now we want to dive into some of the questions you have submitted. I know you're all waiting with bated breath to hear our answers. I proudly bring to you our Q&A segment. So these, these questions, I put something up on social media. I put it up on Instagram. So if you go to our Instagram handle, you can see that. And also if you go to our Facebook, you can see the question when I posted it. All right. So first question we have, I think this is a good, a good segue into the question answering. The first question that I'm going to, that we, I'm going to field from one of our responses here is what is the best part of being a cop? And they said a second part, and what is the hardest? So start with uh, you Fitz. What, uh, what's the best part and what's the hardest part? So, and it's going to sound really, really cliche and you ask any cop and they're going to at, they're going to answer probably in the same way, but just the ability to help people when they're at their, at their worst, at their lowest. Cause that's really when we deal with most of, most of the citizens or the residents is when they are experiencing some type of trauma that they just can't deal with or they like haven't. When, like when you had to change that lady's tire the other morning. Like other? when I had to change that lady's tire. So that lady actually, I, I don't Did you tell know that she was completely there. I think she was a little bit mentally unstable. Yeah. She tried to pay me money. She, she asked, she asked <laughs> oh, I you, forgot to tell you guys. She asked she, you to reissue her horse. She thought that I was triple A. <laughs> she thought I was triple A. She kept, she kept referring to me as the mechanic. She's like, oh, she's like, you're such a good mechanic. I'm like, no, I'm like, I, I'm really not. Like, I'm not a mechanic. You know, the we got a call for service. And so the, she's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, the mechanic shop. I'm like, no. And I'm in full uniform. I'm like, no, I'm I'm a police officer. She goes, oh, she's like, well, you know, here here's the payment for your service. I'm like, no, I, I can't take your money. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is like, thank you. Thank you. Don't have to do that beer run later. <laughs> no more beer runs for me. Put the camera off to the side and take the 20 bucks. <laughs> Actually, I think she had rolled up like 80 bucks. Oh, my it was gosh. it was a fat wad of cash. That buys a lot of beer. <laughs> does buy That's a, lot a decent beer. amount of beer, even though I'm not a beer guy. And Cheetos. But, but just being able to help people, that that's always fun. I don't know. Super cliche response. The hardest thing, the hardest thing honestly is just dealing with internal bullshit. Yeah. It's not even the it's not even the external like the the haters and everything can say what they want, but when you get internal issues that are just so dumb and shouldn't be a thing that I think is is the biggest uh or the hardest thing for me right now yeah, and has been. I think that's probably pretty true for everybody. I think initially when you first come on the police department, I think a lot of the hardest things are dealing with the, the crazy calls, yeah. seeing dead bodies or, you know, people going mm-hmm. through hard times because you're not inoculated to it yet. But as you get on and you've been a, you know, a cop for 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years, the shit that you, I mean, you've seen the gamut out there on the Mm -hmm. streets, especially in a big city. So I think that the stuff that really bothers you is the bullshit that the administration pulls on you. I think that's the stuff that bothers me the most nowadays is the administrative stuff. And not to go down a dark path, but law enforcement community has a high rate of suicide. And I think that when they do these surveys, a lot of times the surveys show that what is the biggest stressor in your life? And almost all of the surveys come back and say the administration of the police department. Almost all of them say that. So that would probably be my hardest part of being a cop is dealing with admin, dealing with like my direct supervisor or the guys on high. It just, especially when you got a bad one, that is tough. It makes the job not fun. 
Well, I think for you as a supervisor, it's a little bit different, right? Because as frontline guys, we really only deal with you Mm -hmm. or whoever our direct supervisor is. And every once in a while, the next level watch commander who wants to pop in every once in a while at lineups or show up at major incidents, Mm -hmm. you know, but for someone like you, where you have supervisor meetings, where you're, where you're meeting with lieutenants and division commanders and, you know, potentially uh, deputy chiefs and things like that. It's a little bit different because you have way more hands-on interaction than the rest of the the normal line staff do. Yeah, but I think the line staff feels the repercussions of the administration making changes or making decisions oh, yeah. that totally affect them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's why guys have such a tough time with it because right. once again, you've got people. We kind of talked about this with feckless leadership. You just got people making decisions for guys that and affects I, them. Yeah, but I think it's hard for you as a as a you know first line frontline supervisor where you have to come to the troops and say here's what's going on and then you guys are kind of treated like mushrooms where you're kept in the dark and fed bullshit. Um <laughs> I think it's kind of hard because guys have questions, why are we doing this? What's going on? What can we change? And you have to basically come back and say I've asked these questions, I've got no response. So I think that might give you some heartache like you want to help us out. You want to help your guys out, but again, when you're treated like mushrooms, you don't have a whole lot of recourse to, you know, respond and be like, here's here's our plan or here's what they're thinking. Yeah, I think for sure. What about you? What's the best part, Jeremy? I joined the police force for the free coffee. I don't give a <laughs> shit about anything else. I want the free coffee. No. Again, kind of like That's a nice perk. I'm not gonna frown at it. Growing up, I, I'm you know, much a child of the mid to late eighties. And so growing up, I saw these there, I mean, movies were coming out, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, uh, Commando, all these movies where these guys took it upon themselves to solve the problem, take care of the issue, and they were badasses, and I wanted to be like those guys. And so that led me to law enforcement, um, because I wanted to be the guy to solve the problem. I wanted to be the guy who took care of the issue, whatever it was. One of the tougher aspects on the flip-flop side of that is there's an old saying, or maybe not old, but... It's not what you, it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. And so, how many times do I show up on scene and I know that maybe a woman or a man has, is a victim of domestic violence, but they don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to tell me what's going on, but I know what's going on, but I can't prove it because they're saying nothing happened. Oh yeah, I've got this uh, you know broken nose because I tripped into a door, and we all know it's bullshit. But again, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. To me, that's that's been one of the hardest aspects of law enforcement is knowing what's going on, but not being able to do much about it. Because that is in direct contrast of why I became a police officer, helping out, being the guy who solves it. And then when I show up on scene and I can't solve it, that is for me is one of the hardest parts of being a law enforcement officer. Yeah. I think that uh, for me... It's funny because I'm second gen cop. My dad's a cop, still is a police officer, been a cop for 30 plus years. I didn't remember ever thinking growing up I wanted to be a police officer. And then when I turned 21 and was able to test, I did. Wait, so you never, you never like thought or dreamed of following in Big Poppy's footsteps? I honestly didn't remember ever doing that. Interesting. I'll put a caveat on that. So we were cleaning out the basement the other day and I had a journal from when I was like eight years old, nine mm-hmm. years old. And I got into the journal and I remember this class, 
my teacher at the first class would say, you know, she'd have a, a message written on the board, answer this question in your journal. And it was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote in that, I wanted to be a police officer. <laughs> so apparently I wanted to. <laughs> at some point you wanted to. <laughs> so apparently but when I was nine, remember, I wanted you to. never wanted to. I don't remember being like a teenager and saying, you know what, I'm grow up, I'm going to be a cop. Or, you know, had that, you know, big, you know, burning desire necessarily. And then when I turned 21 and I got into real life, it's like, you know what, I want to be a cop. And it's because I wanted to help people. You know, like you say, it sounds cliche, but I wanted to be able to go out there and make a difference. You know, I wanted to go out there and catch the bad guys, take the bad guys off the streets, keep people safe. Reality, protect life. That was the big thing I wanted to do. I wanted to go out there and and catch the bad guys. And the thing that's, I think, hard, and I don't see a lot of it nowadays because of of where I'm at and my position, but something that's hard, I know, for guys, too, is dealing with the process of like litigation, like courts Mm -hmm. and judges and the jail. You know, nobody's kept in jail. Doesn't matter what crime they commit, they they're released on their own recognizance after you know a short period of time. Doesn't matter if they're you know booked in there for some heinous ass crimes. It seems like the next day they're out. Yeah. And same thing goes for guys that you know. I talk to detectives all the time. They feel like they get declination letters from the DA all of the time. Oh. It doesn't matter what they do. They have the most solid case of all time, and the the DA will. Nope, declined. I don't like it. Nah, declined. It's like, well, we've got this wrapped up with a bow. We've right. got a person admitting Literally they did what they everything. did. everything. Post Miranda. Yes. And they'll say, eh, de- you know, declined. We don't want to, we don't want to prosecute it. So that's well, that's frustrating. interesting. You bring out the, the release from jail, right? We had a case, um, I think this was probably about a year and a half ago now, where a lady was arrested eight times in seven days. She was booked into jail twice on, in the same day for the same crime. She committed eight of the same crimes in a, in a seven you know what day kind of period. Crimes they were? I think they were, uh, between theft and car prowls and, and things like that kind right. of petty stuff. Yeah. But I, I think there was some, there was some kind of element in there where she should have been held in like the first two or three arrests, but never was. And so they just kept releasing her and she just kept, you know, she'd get out and you know, within a few hours, she'd do the same thing and we'd catch her and take her right back to jail. I think there, I think the, the two arrests in the same day, I think was the same officer on the same shift. So, so that joke that we always, that, you know, officers always joke about, well, it's a revolving door. Like on that day for that officer, it was literally a yeah. resolve, yeah. a revolving Pig, door. Piggybacking on that, I, you or you, Jake will probably remember, but I got dispatched to like an assault in progress mm-hmm. and it was down near one of the homeless shelters where a guy had a piece of rebar and was just beating the holy hell out of anyone who came near. So we find him, hook him up. Seven days prior, he was arrested for ag assault with a pipe. And here he is this a week later doing the exact same, same thing. thing. The exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And again, th- th- that revol- it's frustrating. There's a lot of man hours and manpower that go into finding these criminals, mm-hmm. booking them, you know, a lot of detective work, a lot of police work, yeah. tracking them down. And then we take them to the jail and they're like, yeah, well, here's your court date. Mm-hmm. Be good. Yep. Come back and see us. Well, and how frustrating is that to tell the victims, right? Or when the victims find out, well, this person's been arrested X amount of times for the same thing. Why is, you know, why can't you guys do something about it? It's like, well, we are, but the other part of, of criminal justice is not necessarily holding up their end. Like yeah. their Bum, job da, is to na, hold na, na, people. Na. But the cops, but are, the cops are always the scapegoat. We're always oh. the problem. Well, that's because we're the face, right? We're the ones that respond to these people, right. and so we get the brunt of it. And for me, I get it. I get their frustration. you know. And after a couple sure. of years being on, I, I think that aspect kind of stops being a difficult part to deal with because it's just you're used to it. 
you know, which some numb, yeah, which is kind of a, a, a shitty thing to admit, yeah. but absolutely, you know, when you're talking to the the lady who was assaulted or whatever, and like, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, we'll do yeah. what we can, but yep, we're you know, only one leg or we're only one spoke in this criminal justice wheel. If the other spokes are broken, that you know, there's only so much that one working spoke or two working spokes can do. So there was a call that happened, this is pretty recent, maybe a month or two ago, where a dude was down in front of an apartment complex and he had a reciprocating saw and got into an like a tussle with somebody just walking down familiar. the street. Yeah. The dude was walking down the street, got into an argument with this guy, pulled out his, his saw and cut this dude right on the face. Just barely missed his eye, cut his head. Boom, cut him open. And then he went and barricaded himself inside his house. We had to call it SWAT. SWAT came out, served the deal on him, went in, snatched the dude up who was sleeping on his bed. The guy was a, oh, like, legit asleep. I remember this one. Yeah. And yeah. they, they yeah, yeah. Went, over, went in, snatched him up, took him to jail. You know how long he was in jail for? Six hours on an ag assault. Six Where we hours. had to have SWAT come in and blast the door off. The he house. was back out again. I think he was out by the time we were getting off shift. Yeah. Because that was early joke. on in our yeah, shift. Yeah, it was like yeah. midnight-ish. Mm-hmm. He was out by the time we got off shift. Yep. See, that's the frustrating part. That's super frustrating. I can see why guys get it. So to answer that question, I think that's you know yeah. probably one of the most frustrating things right there. Yeah. Good question. That was Thanks good to that viewer for asking that question. <laughs> Here's one. This is a go full bore on this one, boys. What would you say to someone thinking about becoming a police officer nowadays? <laughs> Jeremy, you're first this time, homie. Okay. Um, one, go be a firefighter. <laughs> you know what's funny? I'm going to tell this right here. When I was when I was testing to become a police officer, my dad's like, are you sure you don't want to be a firefighter? Yeah. <laughs> I think he's saying it jokingly. Right. Kind of. But, but not know, really. But I don't know. Now he thinks back and he's I like, mean, man, I really should have put my They get medical retirement. I mean, and realistically, how often are they fighting fires? A lot of time it's They're medical really not, assist. Not really. Hardly ever. And they get super excited when they actually get a fire. They get super And they excited. get super pissed when there's a fire and you like a And like you a put it out before they get out. There. Dude, that's the best. <laughs> I love doing yeah. that putting a fire out before they show up on scene. What would you do? It's like, take care of the fire, bro. See, I can do your job. (laughs) I can do your job. Most citizens can do your job. People thinking about joining the realm of law enforcement. If you don't have a degree already, work on it. And if you do have a degree, go federal. Mm -hmm. Um, Get into the federal system, whether you have better retirement, better pay, you know, everything's just better. So, and if not... Become a police officer, and sp- most agencies have so- some sort of like reimbursement program where you go to school and they reimburse you so much. Um, get reimbursed what you can, and so if it takes you, you know four to five to six years to get a degree, but once you have that degree, again go federal. Mm-hmm. You know, get the degree on on whatever department you work for yeah. on on their dime, but then go federal. Mm. Yeah, federal is a uh, there's there's pluses and minuses to it. Federal, you gotta. A lot of times, you gotta move. Some people don't want to move out of state. You know, that's one of the reasons why I did not go federal. Yeah, and I speak multiple languages. I could have gone federal, but I didn't want to. And again, I've seen federal officers work, and they're kind of. It's a different animal. It's a different animal. And as a patrol officer, you know, if I've got to go into the deep darks and find some shitheads, I don't want a federal officer backing me. No, because rarely do they know what they're doing mm-hmm. but again they're not street cops they're not street no, cops but again my 13 14 years of, of experience sitting here now i'd really have the money yeah but if you want the money why are you getting into police work at all well i initially um i went to college and i was going to be a doctor they told me i was too smart 
So <laughs> didn't work I out. I mean, that's a problem. Yeah. You can't have doctors that are you super, can't have genius super smart. Do- yeah. yeah. It's those dummies doing that. So because then they end up like up. they end up like Doctor Strange, and then yeah. they join the the Avengers. Yeah. And- <laughs> so I had to become a cop. Okay. Cool. Fitzy, what you got? <sighs> so it, for me, I'm I'm okay having people come into into law enforcement in, in today's day and age, and I I tip my hat to everybody that has come in after 2019, um, 2020, like that, to see all the the bullshit and nonsense go around uh, the country, and to still have the fortitude to throw on a badge and go do police work. I think is is commendable to those people and speaks volumes of their character, even though some of them might be dumber than a box of crayons. But I would say just be very cautious of which agency you decide to go to for example my lady she's put herself through um police academy and and gotten herself certified and everything and i just keep telling her that she's not allowed to work for my agency she can go work anywhere else so to the point that i've even told her that uh that i'll sabotage her hiring process so i mean it's it's law enforcement's great law enforcement's not going to go away no matter how how much these defund the police want to yell and scream um we're always going to be seen a lot of uh locations up their police force yeah because of the repercussions from defunding and then refunding well minneapolis is a prime example look what happened with minneapolis uh, Minneapolis. seattle seattle la new york a lot of these big places are like the defund the police was going on so Mm -hmm. super strong have now like refunded and doubled or tripled whatever the hell they've done so i don't know the exact numbers but they've absolutely realized that police work is a fundamental portion of society (laughs) if you don't have cops dude People aren't going to feel safe to come down into your city. Mm-hmm. Our city's prime example. If you don't have cops in this major city, people aren't going to feel comfortable coming down to that city to do business down there. Oh, absolutely. So they're going to go somewhere else to do it. So Well, and then if you can't manage what's happening in the city, those businesses are going to leave. Yes. We've seen it in our city. We've seen big businesses up and move completely or leave the heart of the city and go to the outer edges. Yes. And and conduct their business elsewhere. So it, it's one of those things where if you can't protect my personal, my private, you know, business, mm-hmm. why am I going to stay in the city when I can go somewhere else where they will have uh, the police and security that I can have and probably charge me less in, t- in, in fees and everything like that? It, yeah, all kinds of stuff. But I, I'm OK with it. I would say just make sure that you're joining for the right reasons. If you're if you're joining for anything other than honest integrity reasons, then you're coming into the wrong area. Yeah, this is not the go profession do that for you. Else. Yeah, go be you're private. Coming in for security. money, don't do that, bro. <laughs> yeah, this, public service is not where the money's no, at. Don't do it for go money. Go be a politician. That's where you get all the money. It's stable, which is one thing to say. It's stable. Sure, like you said it's not going to go away. You get benefits. So you do get benefits. So you know those are also those are boons to doing what you're doing. Yeah. Good question on that one. Okay, yeah. we've got another question here. How has police work changed in the last five plus years? So, Fitzy, you've got the least amount of time of three right here. Yeah. Do you do you see that as police work has changed in your short short career? Oh, absolutely. Career? Yeah. From the time you came on to the, to let's say now, like what yeah. what do you feel like is different? So one of the biggest things is the cameras. So when I came in um, back in 2014, my academy class was the first to have. We were issued the body cameras on day one. So for me, I've never known police work without body cameras, you know? So for me, it was normal. But for a lot of people, as I was, as I started to go into, into patrol, into my FTO uh, time, and then out on my own, a lot of the, the veteran officers, a lot of the officers that had been doing police work for a number of years hated the idea of cameras. But for me, it made, for me, it made sense. 
you know, it, it, I got it. But again, I didn't know police work without cameras, you know? So that was one thing that, that, uh, I was kind of on the, the beginning stages with. Um, but now in just the last, you know, several years, four or five years, a lot of it is documentation. A lot of it is how we document things. Now we're, you know, we're documenting, you know, camera usage and when it's shut off and, and doing all sorts of things like that. The way that we handle certain investigations is changed. The way that the department has us handling investigations, there's loads and loads and loads more documentation and paperwork. So what at the beginning of my career, a short eight years ago would have taken maybe a half hour to 45 minutes. Uh, an investigation like that can now take upwards to two hours because there's so much documentation. There's so many more things we have to, to ask. So yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot. For example, one of the things that we do, and it really doesn't take much time, but I think it's silly as well. And I guess it's not a big deal now because jail reform's gone, but it's still on the, um, on the booking sheet is we still have to ask people what their income is. People you're arresting, you have to ask yeah. them what their oh, income yeah, yeah, is yeah. to figure out what kind of bail they can pay. So a if, bunch of horseshit. If you commit a heinous crime and you don't have a job and you don't make money, you're going to have a low bail amount. Yeah. We've seen some that are like 50 bucks for, you know, felony two so charges. Are you, are you doing like a credit report on these people as you're booking them in a jail? <laughs> I don't have Experian. a job. It's like, okay, okay. And they, have like, they make more money than we do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? What a bunch of bullshit. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jeremy? I think your, your answer and my answer probably could be similar because we've been on relatively yeah. same amount of time. <clears throat> yeah. So when, when the cameras... Because I was a police officer before camera work. I worked for several years without a camera. But when the cameras came out, it wasn't so much that I was doing untoward stuff that I was worried about. But it was almost like I did not trust it anymore. Which was kind of a slap in the face. And so again, it wasn't when the cameras came out. It wasn't that I was worried about wearing a camera. um, Because I I wasn't doing anything wrong. But it it just felt like that the system that I had believed in, the justice system, didn't believe in me anymore. And so it was, it was kind of a slap in the face. Yeah. Yeah. I think that police work has changed exponentially because of cameras. And I think that the intent of the cameras was to find out that cops were doing bad shit. In reality, it's vindicated cops almost every single time. So the the public has their cameras. I think that's what the biggest portion of this is, that we have our own cameras that aren't edited. They aren't cut. So we can see the whole entire encounter, mm-hmm. whereas you get people who have cell phone cams, they're going to show the worst part and no yeah. lead up to that. And so I, I think that, you know, like them or not, cameras are important because they show the whole scene. They show the whole. And granted, the cameras even don't catch everything. Right. So sure. yep. they don't catch context. They don't catch yep. what the officer feels or sees. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they're they're kind of a stopgap, but they still aren't all encompassing. So the cameras are one thing. They can be good. Also, I don't like the fact, like you're saying, in court, if you don't have video, it's like it didn't happen, yeah. which is yeah. bullshit. Back in the day, if I testified to something, it's like, well, the cop said it, it did it. Okay, that means it happened. Nowadays, was it on video? Was it on video? Okay, was it on video? Dismissed. Well, on the other side of that, too, is when they're interviewing, right, or, or whatever you want to call it, when you have a witness or a suspect or anybody else that's not a police officer up on the stand, why does their word mean more than ours? You know, did they, did they have, did they have video? Well, no. So then why is their word, you know, any better than mine? I didn't have the opportunity to have video. Yeah. I'm, I'm a trained professional. I've done this for X amount of years. I've gone through thousands upon thousands of hours of training. I have, you know, thousands more hours of experience, you know, but somehow my, my word, because it's not on camera doesn't mean anything 
or has less validity than the average Joe citizen who doesn't have that <laughs> same training and understanding of oh. how different things work. So and to tack it's on crazy. To tack onto that, Jake kind of touched on it, but it almost seems like, you know, cameras were kind of sold and, and, you know, maybe this is not all agencies, but I bet there's a few, uh, you know, uh, a fair few amount that said, hey, this is your benefit. And then it kind of turns into a thing where now we're watching cameras to see if you're cussing on a call, yeah. if using untoward language, <laughs> if you're picking your nose. Yeah. Yep. And yep. so instead of using it as solely an evidentiary gathering tool, right. it's being kind of perverted into like a, well, you mean you did a witch hunt, a witch hunt. You really didn't do anything, you know, against policy, but you, you know, you said, you know, a curse word on this call. So we don't like that. Your we tone don't was like gruff. that or your tone was gruff. I know people that have gotten in trouble for the calls done with. There's no more people on scene other than cops and cops forgot to turn their camera off and they're just talking some shit, you know, kind of like we're doing right now. They're talking some shit. And because it's caught on camera, they get in trouble for it. Yeah. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. Even even if it has nothing to do with the call that yeah. they were on. They're talking shit on anything else. Yep. Nothing about nothing about anybody who was on scene. Just talking some shit. They get in trouble for it. Yep. That is horse shit. Um, oh, here we go. That's going to lead us into the next one. What's your biggest pet peeve on the job? What's your biggest pet peeve? That's a good one. So I think, I think my biggest pet peeve, and it, it might seem... I don't know. I have a lot of pet peeves, but I think the biggest thing that I see that is like an easy fix, I think, is the lack of a mentorship program or the lack of using a mentorship program. Because you have a lot of these young cops that come in. They're impressionable. They're doing dumb stuff. A lot of it over social media. And I think if you have some type of a mentorship program where you attach, you know, as soon as these guys get off of, of probation... They're assigned a mentor similar to an FTO, but not necessarily to those same requirements. But you have a mentor to kind of guide these young, these young bucks through their early years and, you know, simple things that, hey, you probably shouldn't post that picture or you probably shouldn't, you know, do this or that or, you know, do something a little bit better on a, on a call so that we're not just flat out cutting them off of having that direct supervision right off of FTO and make them that much better as police officers. Because I think my biggest pet peeve is having a lot of these young guys running around, not knowing what they're doing and having this false sense of bravado, like they know what they're doing. I'm going to, I'm going to echo that. Or second that because the way I went through the academy and the way I was introduced to law enforcement were these crusty old guys who told me where to go and how to get there. Yeah. Almost on every call. And if I did something wrong, they were the first to pipe up and be like, you fucked up this, you fuck, you know, you screwed up. And they had no qualms about telling me what was going on. And now we have a softer generation. Yeah. So we have a softer generation of police officers coming out who don't know how to be kind of some harder police officers. And again, they think they're doing great. And in reality, they're not doing that great. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is that some of these officers, they really don't know what it was like in the good old days yeah. when you had to be accountable for everything you're doing. And so that's, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is the lack of accountability. Again, I... It kind of ties into what we are as domesticated savages. I don't know if some of the newer guys, and if you want to be a savage, you got to order a t-shirt. So <laughs> hit us up. But some of these newer guys, I don't think they have any idea what it means to be that savage, that domesticated savage on a call. Yeah. Um, and then again, just to piggyback on what Fit said, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. Jake, what about you? As a supervisor too, that's what is your pet peeve as a frontline supervisor? 
I hate micromanagers. Probably a big pet peeve of mine. I think so do we. (laughs) I hate micromanagers. I hate dudes that are quote unquote leaders, supervisors, right? That want to be inserted and insert themselves in anything and everything. And they can't trust the guys to go out there and do their job. Especially guys that have been on the on the job for, you know, 10 plus years, mm-hmm. even five plus years. Like, these guys are going to know what they're doing. Why do you have to meddle, yeah. right? Why do you have to meddle in everything and anything? That's the thing that bothers me probably more than anything else is, is micromanaging. Um, I'm an adult. I've got a badge and a gun. You trust me to go out there and handle calls. But now if I'm doing something else, this piddly little thing over here, you're going to be breathing down my neck while I'm doing it. That probably bothers me the most. That's my biggest pet peeve is micromanaging. And there's a difference with that, right? If it if it's a big major incident, by all means get a supervisor there to help oversee things. But on something minor, like an assault or, you know, a robbery or something like that, like Yeah. Yeah. That's annoying. I don't I don't need a somebody with stripes showing up on every call. Yeah. Or maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe I'm retarded and no. I do need that. No, nah, you're good, bro. You're good. <laughs> I don't feel like I gotta show up in your calls unless it's a homeless guy at a an apartment complex that's all naked. <laughs> I'm like, I I like so. as, as a welcomed guest, smoking a smoking a cigarette, indoor cleaner, indoor cleaner act, bro, trying to save lives out here. <laughs> so those are that's probably a big pet peeve of mine. I get really annoyed with radio traffic and guys just talking and talking and talking on the radio. And people who aren't cops aren't going to understand this, but the radio traffic should be held to a minimum. You should only be saying the absolute most important things on the radio. And yet you've got guys who are telling their life stories on the radio, which is so flippin' annoying. Airtime is golden. Yes. Like the last thing you want. So if we're speaking on the radio, nobody can interrupt me. If so, I'm holding my mic down and I'm talking on the radio. I've got the mic. That's me. Right? So... I've got to be cautious and cognizant of how long I'm holding that mic down and talking on the radio. I should only be blurting out important shit that needs to be said. Because the last thing you want is, let's say you're the dude who's not keyed up on the radio and now you're fighting with somebody or you got somebody at gunpoint or you need the radio traffic and somebody's on the radio holding their mic down Mm -hmm. saying, I'm here at this blah, blah, blah. And they go off on a dissertation for, you know, 10, 20 seconds. And you're in the meantime, you know, needing to get help to where you are because you've got a life-threatening situation. That bothers me so yeah. radio traffic absolutely and i feel, feel like nowadays it's it's gotten insane yeah. like nobody yeah. cares anymore i feel like about the radio traffic so that bothers me mm-hmm. um once well, and i think a lot of that goes back to the mentorship right you have these young guys that come in that are feeding off of the classes before them you know the the classes one or two ahead of them they see them doing these big long dissertations oh i you know, I, uh, the, the homeless guy packed up all his stuff and uh, he's going southbound on this street. And His favorite uh, color was, you know, puce. Yeah, we, we talked a, about this. He's a Gemini. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to no-case this. It's like, bitch, you don't need to say all that. Just no-case it or do it over the computer. Exactly. You know, so you, you, you have these other classes doing that before them. And so they're like, oh, well, okay. Dispatch or whoever needs to know what happened. No, nobody cares. I feel like... That is a byproduct of COVID. I think the fact that we had COVID and we didn't do lineups or line downs or whatever yes, for so long. That's a good point. Because at lineups, you know, a lot of that stuff would get addressed. Yeah. You start airing that stuff out. And I think that since we didn't do COVID or lineups because of COVID, I think a lot of that didn't get addressed. And then the next thing you knew, it snowballed. And now you've got a majority of people who came on. Mm-hmm. They're on patrol, especially on the night shift. They came on during that time, and now they've got really bad habits. Yeah, I think it's incumbent upon us to take the measures to make sure that that gets squashed, yeah. that, that gets taken care of. So, you know, you say the mentorship program. There has never been a mentorship program. Is that a fallacy? Possibly. 
but why has there never been a mentorship program and yet you guys made it okay? Like, why is that? I think you touched on it, Jeremy. I think it's because guys were willing to put themselves out there and say, hey, you new recruit, you dumb shit. Don't do this on this call. That's stupid. Don't don't let me ever catch you slipping because if you do, we're going to have words. I think that that was a thing back in the day, that peer Absolutely. pressure, yep. peer it's pressure. actually a, a really good point. <laughs> Nowadays, I don't feel like that there is that peer pressure. No. There isn't that peer pressure. And whenever people come to me because I'm a sergeant, people come to me and bitch, so-and-so isn't doing this or so-and-so is doing that or so-and-so is If you talk to them about it, every time that anybody ever says that to me, it's always no. No, I haven't talked to them about it. I said, okay, how about you talk to them first? Let them know how you're feeling. And then after you talk to them, if they're continuing to do whatever you're talking about, they fail to listen to you. Okay, then I'll step in. But every time I say, hey, "Have you talked to him first, It's always no because well, they don't it, have that peer pressure. Well, and it's interesting that as cops, we can go and confront a suspect in an aggravated assault. Right? This dude just beat down a dude with a baseball bat, but and we're going to go confront them, but we can't confront our own peers about X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I remember when I was a newer guy, and you know, my wife and I, she's been married to me since pretty much I was a brand new guy, and I remember talking about what we'd say in lineup. Or how I'd tell, you know, call people out after mm-hmm. calls or whatever. I, the way I'd talk to the guys, just very frank. You know, very frank in my in my speech to these other people that I was working with. And she'd always say, man, I wish I could talk to my coworkers like that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, it, it works. It works. But I feel like that that's not how it is nowadays. Yeah. I feel like, and granted, I think it's because people cry and complain and get their feelings hurt. generation. And I think, yeah, I think it's just be, and guys are scared to call people out because they don't want to get complained on. They don't want to like make somebody feel bad about themselves or hurt their feelings. It's like, this isn't about feelings, bro. This is about safety. This is about being safe on the streets. I don't give a shit about your feelings. So if you're going to cry. And, and legally. Yeah. Right? If, if you're, you're doing gonna something cry, wrong. Then. Yeah. If you're going to cry about me telling you stop taking up so much time on the radio, too damn bad. You know what I mean? That's my safety and your safety and everybody else's safety. Yeah. I don't care. That was a good one. That was a good question. Let's see here. What traits slash abilities do you think officers need? Communication. Communication. I think communication is big. So I came from the prison and I, I don't think that I had an issue with communicating before, but I think in the prison or in any kind of correctional facility, you really have to refine your communication skills because you're going to be outnumbered. Um, if you're in a prison by obviously convicted felons, or if you're in a jail by, um, also by convicted, um, criminals, but a lot of potentially dangerous people that have been arrested for different things, but you're always going to be outnumbered, you know, X amount of, of inmates to one officer. So the facility that I worked at, we had 400 inmates and we had between five to eight officers, you know, so a huge discrepancy there. So you have to be very good with how you word things. They're also adults, you know, they're convicts. So they, they don't like to have things fluffed, you know, just tell them straight up. So you have, you have to get a lot of communication skills under wraps, how you communicate with people effectively. And I think that translates out onto the street. If you're, you know, kind of fluff using fluffy speech with, with suspects or victims or things like that, you're kind of empowering them, but just speak direct. I think communication is a big thing. And then you have, you know, communication within your, within your own squad and supervisors and things like that. But so communication, I think not only goes to the people you work with or work for, you're saying like, you said the uh, the inmates. Mm-hmm. I could tell you right now, my communication skills now compared to when I was a brand new officer are night and day difference. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. When, when I was a brand new guy, I remember I couldn't talk my way out of wet paper sack. I could not talk my way through anything mm-hmm. because I didn't have the skills. And it led to me having to probably use more force. Like nowadays, dude, pretty much 99.9% of the time, I can talk my way through something. Yeah. And talk de-escalate way the situation. Yep. 
You know, we see de- say de-escalation. Dude, that's a big hot-button topic nowadays. De-escalation. 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 Dude, we've de-escalated <clears throat> since I was a brand new guy. They de-escalated before I was ever a police officer. De-escalation has always been taught and always been approved and always been a thing that's been pushed in police work. We always go out and de-escalate everything that we come upon. I don't care if I de-escalate with my fists or my mouth or a flipping gun. Mm-hmm. I'm de-escalating the situation, right? So, But nowadays, I'm really able to de-escalate the situation with my mouth because I know what to say. I know how to calm people down. Sometimes... It comes to the point where it's like, there is no de-escalation with the mouth. You've got to go to hands or whatever the case might be. That's fine. But because I have that ability nowadays, I am way more adept at actually de-escalating situations or talking to people, communicating Mm -hmm. with people and coming to a resolution that's going to be beneficial for everybody. And then I think on the flip side of that, you have people that are really good at talking their way into physical confrontation. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Along with Jeremy, what do you think? Along with communication, I think decision making. I think there is a number of newer officers who don't know how to make a decision or pick a path and stick with it. Here's what I'm going to do. And again, I think that comes with some time. But again, I'm seeing two and three year officers who have been doing the job for a few years have run into a fair amount of calls who still don't have the ability to make a decision. And you know, and it seems like they're calling their sergeant. You know, I've got this. I've got this. What should I do? I was always taught is, you never call a sergeant. And ask him what to do. You call a sergeant and say, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Am I missing anything? Am I thinking, you know, is there something I should be thinking about? My way off. Am I way off topic? But now, nowadays, it's there's no decision making. They don't know how to say, here's what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. Let's go. Yeah. There's a lot of him and hawing and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, it's true. And we can always point back to society and culture and the way that it is. I think that's probably indicative of the way that our society is nowadays. Uh, I was reading a study the other day that says that, you know, we shouldn't be classifying people as adults when they're 18. It should be more like, you know, in their mid-20s. Yeah. Sure. Which is, you know, do you agree with that or not? I think that's, I mean, granted, being 18 years old, I remember being 18 years old and I didn't know shit. But it's kind of interesting to think that that, that mindset in, in the cultural mindset of, hey, I'm not an adult until I'm 25. That's pretty crazy to think about. Well, and to run with that, right? If, if we're going to label 18-year-olds as an adult, you know, we're going to treat them like an adult. They can join the military if they want to at, at 18 as an adult. Then why are we not allowing them to do adult things, right? Let them drink alcohol. But if we don't think they're mature enough for alcohol, then why are we not moving everything back to 21 Yeah, I or think older? The reason why alcohol shouldn't be 21 in reality should be 25. Why is that? You know, your frontal lobe does not fully develop until you're 25 years old. Pretty sure my frontal lobe is still developing. So your frontal lobe is not developed until you're 25 years old, and drinking alcohol will absolutely destroy that frontal lobe. So if you're talking about the pure, the pure uh, physical aspect of drinking alcohol, you shouldn't do it until you're 25. Because I was not, just making a joke, and you like went real with it. So now I'm like second guessing all my That's life decisions. That's what I do, homie. <laughs> That's what I do. Make you second guess all your life decisions. <laughs> all right, here's another one. How has law enforcement changed you? Jeremy, let's go with you first, bro. So for me specifically, I think it's opened my eyes to the reality of what's going on around me. Um, Most people, they kind of float through life not realizing the the dangers around them or possibly the shit that could happen to them. And you, as a police officer, you run into those people like, I never thought this would happen to me. Mm -hmm. But as, as you begin your career and you start making your way through the law enforcement career, you realize there's danger and pedos lurking around every corner. And so, you know, and that kind of goes into some of our cop philosophies going in before I became a police officer, I'd go into the restaurant, sit down wherever, 
now like most cops know you go and you kind of keep your back to the wall. You're kind of looking at the exits, watching who comes in. Even out, wherever you are, you're kind of got your head on a swivel, kind of evaluating who's around me, what's going on. I think that's one way. The other way, I think it makes me a cold-hearted son of a bitch. Because, you know, we deal with death almost on a daily basis. We see, you know, suicides, we see traffic accidents, we see all manner of horrific incidents, industrial accidents. I saw one guy, you know, fell down, got his head run over by an 18-wheeler, squished like a grape. And you see all these things and you're expected to not only act professional, but calm everyone else down who's not a police officer on scene and then go and write a report document it thoroughly and then you go from that crazy homicide or that crazy suicide or that industrial accident to going to help grandma change the batteries in a remote on the very next call <laughs> you have to compartmentalize that and you know when you see that stuff we don't we, we really can't take hey it's been a really rough call um i'm done for the day yeah. so all these other calls for service are gonna have to wait because i need a time out that doesn't happen no you got to bury it deep down until it becomes cancer and then just go on to the next call. <laughs> you got to bury it down, bury it push down. it down, push it down. But that, I think that, that brings up another side topic we can have another day, but I think that's why you see a lot of, of officers and doctors and, you know, people that work in that type of profession, they compartmentalize everything and they keep everything tucked away. And then eventually at some point they're going to explode and they're going to beat their dog or, you know, they're going to go crazy at work or whatever. So, yeah. How has law enforcement changed me? I think that it opened my eyes to the stuff that's going on in the world. I think you touched on the topic, but being a, being a cop, I can identify things that I never would have identified otherwise. And I point those things out to people who aren't cops all the time. And they kind of look at me with this weird look on their face like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> we'll be down in the big city. I'll be with my homies. You know, I'll say, oh, that's a prostitute. They'll say, oh, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. That's judgmental. That's a, that's a like, legit, that's a prostitute. Or I'll see a drug deal going, oh, that was a drug deal. What? That was a drug deal? Yeah, that was a drug deal. So I think that's, you know, being a cop has opened that up to to me, to my eyes, opened my eyes up to that. Um, it's, you know, I try not to let it get me jaded, but I know I'm way more jaded than I would be. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy and I have talked about this. I don't let my kids have sleepovers. Nope. Because right. of the- Unless I know that family. Dude, like, even then, I'm so there. hesitant. Sure. Yeah. I'm not letting people, my kids sleep over and I don't want people sleeping over at my house just because of the weird stuff I've seen people complain about and like call the cops on. It's like, I don't want to be implicated in that. Avoid, kind of avoid that. Even though yes, statistically likely nothing's probably going to happen because we live mostly in decent places, but you never even want to get close to yeah. that. Something possibly untoward or something makes a, an inference or something. No. And so I, to avoid that totally. Yep. My kids don't have sleepovers. No one sleeps over at my house. Even the other day, my daughter was like, hey, I got a friend. She wants to come inside and play. And I said, uh, how about you guys play outside? It was a nice day. Grab your toys. You know, sit sit out in the front lawn. You guys play out there. Yeah. Go play in the snow in the blizzard. Don't go come play to my house. In the middle of the freeway. <laughs> go play. Go play frozen outside. It's a good day for frozen. Uh, let's see. I got two more. Here's one. If you, this, I like this one. If you could recreate any movie scene while on duty, what would it be? I already, Fist, I already you got one. I already gave my answer earlier. <laughs> Hand, hands down from my favorite and most realistic cop movie of all time. Yeah. It would be the desk pop scene from the other guys. Oh, nice. I would love to be able to convince a detective to just pop around off. That would be amazing. <laughs> would We've be. already had desk pops in 
and around other areas on accident, but yes. to be able to verbally convince somebody to, yeah, it's normal, dude, just pop it off. Boom. Boom. Yes. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jeremy? You want me to say it first? Um, if I could re- recreate any scene, I would want to recreate the scene of Tombstone where I'm Val Kilmer and I'm meeting up with Johnny Ringo. Oh, yeah. And Johnny Ringo rolls up out of there and Val Kilmer's like, I'm a Huckleberry. Huckleberry. My, my fight's not with you. Huckle- That's what Holler- it is. It's not, it's not Huckleberry. Hucklebearer. It's a hucklebearer because on coffins, the handles were referred to as huckles. And so it's like saying, I'm your pallbearer. Yeah. I'm your coffee bearer. bearer. Yeah. So I would Fight's love to recreate you, that Holiday. scene where that dude rolls up and it's like, I cut him up out of the shadows yeah. and he sees me and now he's like shitting himself. Oh, that'd be I dope. Beg to differ. That's a great scene. And then I pull out my gat and I blast him. Yeah. That'd be cool. So if I could recreate a scene, that'd probably be that one right there. That's a great movie. I love that movie. In fact, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. I'm going to go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> My five-year-old wants to do a movie night tonight, and uh-huh. now I know what we're watching. <laughs> Tombstone. <laughs> nice. Well, let's you watch these, let's watch watch these old marshals get jacked up on laudanum and <laughs> smoke people. Johnny Ringo. Johnny this Ringo. is what daddy does at work. What do you got, What do you got, Jeremy? Oh, so many scenes have come to mind. Some of these references people may not understand, but uh, the ending of Die Hard, when he's got his piece strapped to his back mm-hmm. and he kind of is tricking hans you know and he's only got like the one bullet left mm-hmm. uh that one or i really like the fight scene on the original total recall with arnold mm-hmm. and he's got richter and they're in that lift oh, i love that one and he's fighting richter and then uh richter goes over the side and he holds his arms there and that's right when it comes up to like a floor and it cuts his arms off and yes. Richter falls down. And then he goes, see you at the party, Richter. And throws his arms <laughs> down throws at him. throws his arms down. <laughs> yes. I want to do that one. That would be dope. <laughs> That's kind of savage. <laughs> see you at the party, Richter. See you at the party. That would be good. I like that. That's a good question. Uh, That's fun. Um, Let's see. Last one. Last one. Well, I got a couple more because I don't want to leave this guy out. Um, One of our homies asks us, how long have you been a badass? Probably referring to you, Jeremy. How long have you been a badass? <laughs> now, is that like the common term, like you're such a badass, or is he talking about like intestinal problems? <laughs> like how long have you had a bad ass? A bad ass. Oh. Like oh, well, how long have you fixed. had I'm all good pro- now. Oh, oh I'm my all good gosh. Now. No, how long have you been a badass? Oh. Um, I was confused. Not had a badass, been a badass. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, I, it, probably for me, it goes back to around second or third grade. <laughs> He's got an exact date. When I like it. When I was uh, dating, and I'm doing the air quotes, two girls at the same time. Woohoo! And then there they found out, go. and they weren't happy. But they fought each other. No, oh, there was no, no fight for the honor no for fight. the honor of dating the mighty Jeremy. The wins gets Jeremy. That's that's about that's about when. What about you, Fitzy? I don't think I've reached that yet. The badassery. No. Well, you're here now. I'm still, so I'm still left wanting. Teaching him our ways. I was probably born a badass. You know that song by George Thorogood? Probably about me. <laughs> Last one. Was there ever a time or moment on the job that had you reconsidering your job choice? I honestly don't think there's ever been a time where I regretted being a police officer. I don't think there's a moment where I was like, I made a big mistake. But... There were there have been several moments where I'm like, what the fuck is my life? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. 
where it's just like, is this, is this really my life right now? Is this the shit that I'm really going through and dealing with? So I don't think I've ever like regretted. There's never been one moment where you said, why the hell did I do this? Oh, there's like weekly moments where I like, I should have been a firefighter. Um, but nothing like serious contemplation no, where no. you're like, eh. no, what about you? I think for me, I'm kind of at that point right now, honestly. Yeah. Like if something like, for example, tomorrow, right. If tomorrow somebody were to offer me a job and it was simpler than this and the money was good and I could sustain my family, sustain what I currently have mm-hmm. and potentially reach more, you know, financial status then. Mm-hmm. I would probably seriously be uh, enticed to probably leave this profession altogether. So I've always told everybody that um, this is my first agency, like law enforcement agency, not including the prison that I've worked for. And I've told everybody that I will either die with this patch on my shoulder or I'll retire with it. I I have no plans of going to another agency, no plan of ever leaving this department uh, for another one. But if I do, it'll be to leave the profession altogether. Yeah. So if another agency came knocking, there's a 99% chance I, I wouldn't even entertain it. I'm kind of at that point where I'm just like, do I want to do this for another X amount of years and deal with all this, all this bullshit? We'll see. I, I, I like it. The, the camaraderie and everything is what keeps me coming back. So yeah. Jake, what about you? Yeah. There's been times in my career when I've thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? Why am I still doing this? Should I go do something else? Especially before I hit my like 10 year mark. I had issues with supervisors. I had issues. There wasn't necessarily a call that made me think, why am I doing this? Never, never been a call per se that made me question. In fact, if anything calls like strengthen my resolve and why I do what I do, it's always been administrative Yes. or having, you know, shitty leaders, Mm -hmm. something like that, you know, just dealing with the bullshit from the administrative portion of it. So I've had some crappy ones. I've had some crappy chiefs i've had some crappy dc some crappy captains and lieutenants and sergeants so absolutely i've had times where i've thought to myself i should go do something else like i said especially before i had my like 10 year mark because i'm looking for that 20 year and i'm so close to that it's like that freaking prison sentence sometimes it feels like it's like i still got four i just got four years you're a short timer (laughs) four years in a wake up yeah that that uh light at the end of the tunnel i've got that so i don't really necessarily consider that nowadays although it still does like the stress of it still weighs on me obviously but just gotta put my time in bro gotta get my time so i like doing my job i just wish i didn't have to deal with the bullshit from the administration if i just go out there and be a cop and not to worry about their bull crap i feel like that would be much more fulfilling you know what i mean i love being a cop i love Mm -hmm. going out there and helping people but (laughs) they just try to make it not that way yeah you know for all you savages out there What we're going to start doing here to end our episodes is Savage of the Week. And this week, we have decided upon a savage. Jeremy, could you do the honors in letting us know who the Savage of the Week is? Absolutely. So this savage comes to us from the bountiful land of Russia. Mother Russia. Mother Russia. Russia. And, you know, for those of you who grew up watching Rocky, Russians don't fuck around. No, they do not. So... A story coming out of Russia where a pedophile pedo was his life his life force was terminated and the way it was terminated and how it was determined to be terminated is what makes this so savage. Russian authorities decided that this pedophile dug his own grave and then stabbed himself thirty seven times, and it was classified as a suicide. So I mean, to that's me, de- that's dedication. So a, a Russian man was friends with this pedo and happened to notice his buddy always on this phone kind of acting weird. So one day 
the pedo passed out. His buddy got the phone to look like, what is he always looking at? Mm -hmm. He's like always doing some weird shit. Happened to find, uh, the pedo was sexually assaulting the friend's daughter. (sighs) And so he's having to see this played out in reality. And so basically he was, the friend kind of confronted, gave him an ultimatum. Like either you turn yourself in or face my wrath. Right. And I think the decision was made for the pedo in that his grave was dug and then he stabbed himself 37 times, something like that. But the Russian government comes back and I mean, the guy fully admitted what he did, but they said, instead of like charging you with manslaughter, they're like, well, we are going to charge you with inciting another to commit suicide. (laughs) (laughs) So the Russian government, so what you're getting at is the pedo is given an ultimatum, decides, no, I'm not going to kill myself. Right. And then is found with 37 stab wounds. In a shallow and ru- grave. And the Russian government says, that was suicide. Suicide. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for them. Good he, for them. B- I mean, he ended his own life. Right? <laughs> 37 yeah. times. Yeah. 37 times. Yeah. All if, the evidence If you don't succeed, so. try again. And obviously he failed numerous times. So yeah, it couldn't have been his friend that stabbed him thirty-seven no, times. No. Well, no, that would be that would be murder. That would be a totally different charge from the Russian government. I think his friend just helped him see the upside of stabbing yeah. yourself thirty-seven times, 37 times and then putting yourself in a shallow grave and then covering yourself. <laughs> I think that was yeah explained to him and the upside. So, anyways, boys, thanks a lot. That uh, wraps up our episode of Domesticated Savages. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. Remember, you can find us on Instagram, domesticated underscore savages. You can find us on Facebook, Domesticated Savages. Find us on our website, always, domesticatedsavages.com. You can go there, listen to our podcast, listen to the episodes there. Leave us some likes. Share this as much as you possibly can. That helps us get uh, the uh, algorithm out there to get more people to listen to it. and helps us out a lot. Once again, thanks a lot for tuning in. Remember, stay savage. Hello, Akbar. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck your life. <laughs>